So, we're in the book of Jonah, and the Lord had been dealing with my heart for years, three or four years actually, when I went uh, with Paul and Elaine on a trip, and I saw this production of Jonah in Branson, and I walked out weeping and crying, and growing up in church hearing the story of Jonah, I never really realized it, because we think we all know the story of Jonah, so it's a book we never read toward the end of the New Testament. You know, Jonah was a prophet, right? And when you study oral tradition and history, he was not only a prophet, he was a great prophet, a very beloved by Israel. Israel loved Jonah. And so as I began to watch that production, I left that production crying, going, oh my goodness, what a story of the new covenant, hidden as a gem. You know, the Old Testament is Jesus... um, concealed in the new testament it's he's revealed and that's why i don't throw out the old testament you definitely have to know but the difference of the old covenant the reason i love the old covenant being present is not only is it a type and shadow of the new covenant but it lets me know how i can't do it with the old covenant how you can't live good enough by the law no matter how good you are no matter how much you pray And so you'll see a lot of things in the Old Testament that are not only type and shadows, but there's also hidden gems and messages like in the life of Jonah being such a great man of God, you can actually see uh, arrogance and self-righteousness at times and unforgiveness because we all have flaws. We all have flaws. God desires to work in every single one of us, but growing up, Hearing the story as a preacher's kid, hearing the story of Jonah on the little, back then we had the felt board. Anybody remember the felt boards in children's church, you know, with the little felt stuck to the board and all that. Well, we had the felt board stories and all that kind of thing. And I heard the story of Jonah as a kid. And and all I knew was, you know, basically there was this guy named Jonah. He was a man of God. And this happened to him and this happened to him and this happened to him. But as I began to dive into this and God wouldn't let me minister the series till three or I don't know how it was three or four years ago that we went. And I started taking notes and writing, and he kept saying, no, no, no. And every year I wanted to do it, and it was like it didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, I'll be honest, what made it really confirmed to me was Pastor Shannon came to me and said, hey, this has been in your heart for years. It's time to make it happen. Let me build you a fish. And I like that because sometimes we need to know from another source that it's God that you're hearing. And that's really cool with me sometimes. Because let it be established in the mouth of two. So I decided to do this. How many has heard the story of Jonah? Knows the story of Jonah? Yeah, me too. The book is only four chapters. We discussed chapter one last week. Today we're going to discuss chapter two and we're going to go inside the fish. What happened inside the big fish? Or I grew up thinking it's a whale. Anybody else? And it just is really a big fish. But I went to study um, orcas before I began to do this message, and orca is, uh, an orca is as literally as from that organ over there to, to way over here. And actually, the only fish that a great white shark, I, I read this the other day, and I was like, ooh, that's good. The only fish that, that, that a great white shark, who's the baddest of all, is afraid of is the huge orca. And then I began to see pictures of little uh, scuba divers that look like that compared to this huge fish. And I said, oh, I see how this could happen. You know, that this is not just some 
some fairy tale story or some um, allegory or satire in the Bible, this really happened. And, and, and that it's, it takes more faith to believe in the resurrection and, and, and in the, the genesis of man than I believe even to believe this story that a big fish ate this guy and he lived inside the belly. But if you're going to believe the resurrection and you're going to believe Genesis, how can you not believe that this took place? And also there's too much history behind it that it really happened. It's not some parable in the Old Testament. And so last week, verse 1 says this. We're going to dive into chapter 2, but let's recap just a minute. Verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I'm going to stop there and say what I said last week because maybe you weren't here last week. I just want you to understand the word of the Lord is coming to you today. And I'm not being arrogant, I'm being Godfident. The word of God will find you even if it's in the belly of a well. The word of God will find you in a drunken stupor. The word of God will find you smoking pot. The word of God will find you in the gutter or on the golf course. And this word, these, as I was standing on the day, I just want to say this too. And I'm talking to Scott, these these next four weeks, and today's the second week, these next four weeks, and this sounds harsh, but it's not, these messages are not for the person beside you, it's for you. God doesn't need to give your husband a word, you need a word. And if you receive the word, he'll give your husband or your friend or people that you're thinking of during this message. We're not careful when we hear the word of the Lord, we'll start thinking it's for somebody else. And then we'll even get up and tell the whole church something that was only meant for us. I've seen that happen in services when somebody prophesies that, ooh, they're messing up big time. This word was not for the church. It's for them. So you must understand the word of the Lord is coming to you. Tell somebody beside you, God's word's coming to you today. And I want you to receive it with joy because you're sitting here today. Now, maybe you may be sitting in the belly of a whale right now and we can't see it. But you're here to hear God's word. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, which Amittai, his dad's name means truth, the son of truth. (laughs) Comes to him and says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, no, you got to understand because you know the whole story. uh, 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 Jonah is getting excited about that. Like, ooh, yeah, I'm fixing to preach a hard word. Go and preach to this city called Nineveh. Because it's wickedness, and, 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 and I explained it last week, the Assyrians. Nineveh is basically, the city that God tells Jonah to go to, Nineveh, is basically the capital of the Assyrians. It's a huge city, but here's the deal. It's a very, very wicked city against the Israelites, against Jonah. They would go into the Israelite cities to take it over and do horrendous sick things to the men the women and the children they would they would torture them i explained all that last week and i won't go to i mean really bad stuff to the kids really bad stuff to the women to the men they would behead them and stack their heads up as trophies outside of the city saying now we the assyrians have taken over the city so when when god tells jonah jonah to go to nineveh there's a lot behind it number one has god ever told you to do something that you're afraid to do. You know why Jonah is afraid to do? Because the Assyrians hated Jonah. The Assyrians hated Israel. And, but the Israelites were afraid of them. They would, 
if, a, if an Assyrian got a hold of you, they would torture you and do sick things to you. They would burn your body all the way up to a certain point, but not to the point where you would die. Sick things. So you can see why Jonas, he, God tells him, go to the city of Nineveh, for their wickedness has come up before me. God tells him to go. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going there. God tells Jonah, go east. He decides, no, I'm going west. There's no way I'm going to these Ninevites. I will go and tell anybody else about Jesus. I will go and bring the word of the Lord to anybody else, but not them. You know why? Because history tells us that many of Jonah's friends and family were killed by the very people God was telling him to go give a word to. And we know that the word that God is trying to speak through Jonah is, not, is a word of judgment, but filled with love. But Jonah just wants it. He knows that they're not going to obey God. Even if he does bring the word. These Ninevites, they're sick people. I'll bring the word, but I know, God, I know you're going to destroy them, God. But even that, he was like, I'm not going. Because the bottom line is, sometimes God will have you go back to people that hurt you. Even people of different races that killed your family. To bring the word of the Lord to them and you can refuse. That's what Jonah did. He said, he was basically saying, God, I'm sorry, not this time. La, 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 la. He flees to a city down by the port called Joppa. He catches a ship. He finds a ship. Like I said last week. Whenever you run from God, the enemy will always send the ship in the wrong direction. I said, whenever you run from God, the enemy will always send a ship in the wrong direction. Sometimes I've seen Christians go, that must be God. No, it's not God. Jonah jumps on the ship in Joppa, and he goes to Tarshish. And if you look on a map, it's 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. It is actually uh, uh, west. It is the farthest point. Jonah not only ran from God, but he ran to the furthest point. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He jumps on a ship, and God sends a, a storm on this boat with all this cargo and all this men. You know, when God has a purpose for you to do, sometimes he has to get your attention. Now, I'm not here to discuss theology. I know this is Old Testament. And if you want me to say a different word, I'll just say this. God allowed the storm to take place because of Jonah's disobedience. He's on his way to the farthest point. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm sorry. I've obeyed you every time, but I'm not doing it this time. And how many knows partial obedience is not obedience? When God tells you to do something, it's all or nothing. Hops on the ship. This storm comes. Not just any storm. It's a massive hurricane storm that comes. And the ship, this huge cargo ship, begins to break apart. The captain goes down to the bottom of the ship because Jonah was down there sleeping. How many know sometimes when you're running from God, you go to the bottom? 
But can I tell you this? You can never run from God. Not because he's mad at you. He's mad about you. The storm is not God's retribution. It's God's restoration. The storm is not God's retribution. It's his restoration. It's God's love for you. It doesn't make sense. The storm comes. The ship begins to break apart. The captain goes, where's that dude that, that, that I think is a prophet? I'm this man of God. Now, these are people that aren't serving the God of Israel. He goes down. The captain goes to the bottom of the boat. Hey, man. Hey, you say you're a man of God. I need you to pray right now. And Jonah refuses to pray to the captain. Have you ever been afraid to pray because of the last thing he told you? I thought about that as I was writing this. Have you ever been afraid? It's like, have you ever stopped praying because you know what he's going to say? Like, I'm not praying about this new boyfriend. I'm not bringing him to church because I know what pastor's going to say too. How'd you meet him? On that interweb. ChristianMingle.com. And so, so this prayerless prophet is prayerless. He doesn't want to talk to God because he is a man of God. I'm a man of God. I've been to the place where God, I don't want to talk to you because I know what you're going to tell me to stink and do. I'm telling you, I've been there many times. I know that if I pray about it, what he's going to have me do. He's going to have me go forgive the Ninevites. So I ain't, I, I, I'm not even going there. And don't nobody come up and give me a word. But how many knows the word of the Lord will find you? God's word is coming to you these next three weeks. God's word will find where you are. The storm keeps going and all of a sudden, I mean, it's so bad that the, the, all of a sudden the crew goes down to Jonah. And it's so bad that Jonah finally fesses up. Jonah, the prophet, doesn't want to pray. He finally goes, guys, it's my fault. Just throw me overboard. That's what cha- this is all chapter one. Throw me overboard. The guys on the ship have grown, obviously, to love Jonah because they say, no. We'll just start throwing cargo overboard. Can I tell you that your disobedience sometimes will cost their family what's valuable? Because everything else that's valuable will be th- start being destroyed in the life of your family when what needs to happen is repentance. There's, it got real quiet all of a sudden in the house of God. Your family, your wife, your husband will start throwing out the wrong thing. Come on, it's, it's a strong word. Somebody say, this word's for me. It's not for your husband, your wife, your friend, mom and them. This word's for Scott. I can't bring you this word without God talking to me big time, personally. So they start throwing all the cargo over, and nothing worked. It got worse. Because how many knows that's what will happen? And then you're like, man, now I've lost all this. It's still going. What seems to be the problem? They had no choice. Chapter 1, it says, they said, but bro, bro, bro we, ain't gonna, we don't have no choice. You going. One, two, show. And they threw him overboard. In verse 17 of chapter 1, that concludes chapter 1, says that this huge fish 
came to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Which is very symbolic. I won't go there of Jesus, you know. Jesus ascending to hell. Especially when we begin to dig out chapter 2 and what took place. So today, this is where we pick up chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 2 or your smartphone or whatever. And what's cool about, what is it, I think it's, I don't know, 10 or 11 verses in chapter 2 is we find Jonah, he's been swallowed by the whale, and he's now inside the fish. And chapter 2 is basically his prayer while he's up in the fish. (laughs) This is actually really cool to me as I begin to think about this. It, it, it tells us a little bit, it gives us insight what's going on inside of the fish. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, from inside of the fish, Jonah prayed. Stop. God says, I finally got your attention. You didn't want to pray but I had no choice but to make you a prayer closet. I have no choice. Now listen to the love of God. Listen to the love. You see, the storm is not for retribution. It's for restoration. It's to bring you back from your sin. It's not to punish you for your sin. When God has a big purpose, please hear this word, because some of you are in the storm or in the belly right now. When God has a huge purpose for your life, and you're pushing against the goads, but his love and his purpose and destiny is greater than your emotions or even your disobedience, sometimes God will make you a prayer closet. Sometimes God will make you a prayer closet that you didn't ask for. You don't mind a prayer closet on Orange Beach overlooking the ocean. I didn't say in the ocean. In the fish, at the belly, started from the bottom. The belly of a whale. God, I didn't ask for this. What is the deal? Now, chapter 2 tells us, and when you read chapter 2, it's this eloquent. Some people call it, it's his prayer, but some people call it the psalm of Jonah. The psalm, uh, the song of Jonah. And you read it, and I mean, it is beautiful. But can I just tell you, I promise you, when Jonah was, there was a whole lot not put in chapter 2. I guarantee you a lot of his prayer was, what in the belly of the well is going on? Y'all don't look churchy to me now. If you got ate by a fish, I promise you'd probably be saying some words. What is going on? 
Why am I here? The enemy shows up always. Well, you old rotten thing. Horrible. God's done with you. You're going to be digested and become, that's it. Oh, come on. You know he is, he is praying. First, this, this prayer in chapter 2, I promise, is not the first prayers he prayed. What is going on? He's sitting in bowel. He's sitting in stomach juice. Acid. Okay, it's not cute up in here. This is not the Hilton. Then we have chapter 2. And trust me, he did not have a flashlight, a piece of paper, or a piece of parchment or something, and a pen writing chapter 2. In the bell. Not the well. No, what's happening is once this story ends and we know how it ends, he comes out of the fish and he does what God tells him to do, but he begins to recount and write the prayer that he prayed while in there. And it's a very powerful prayer that I believe that not only prayed, but you can see a couple things in there for every person. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. From the inside, he prayed to the Lord, his God. Next part. And he said, in my distress, I called on the Lord and he answered me. Now stop. Most people do not realize the power of that statement. In my disobedience, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. And a lot of people, we can become so churchy when it comes to prayer. But sometimes God is trying to reignite our prayer life. Jonah would not pray, so God said, I'm going to help you reignite your prayer life. How many knows, the, how many knows adversity will introduce you to God? At a whole nother level. When you don't want to pray, I mean, just have something happen in your family. Have sickness or disease or something horrific happen in your hand. And I promise you, you run to God. People run to God. And it will awaken your life spiritually and awaken even your prayer life. In his distress, he called on the Lord and it says, he not only called him, but he didn't play silent. He answered me. But he called upon the great, almighty, omnipotent, powerful, who hung the moon and the stars, who named them, who named everything, who created everything around us, the universe, the galaxies. The he called upon him and he answered him. Can I tell somebody, you're one prayer away from calling on God and he will answer you. In my distress. I called upon God. Jonah called on him and he basically said, forget you, God. I forgot you, God. And yet still in your mercy, you answered me. This tells me that after we fail and disobey God, we can always call on him. And that God will answer you. Wow. I hear so many people complaining, believers complaining that things are so bad. You know, I'm going through this and I'm going through that and, and I'm going through this and it's so really bad in my life right now. <laughs> it's so bad that, you know, I guess all I can do is really pray. That's an insult to God. 
all I can do now is pray? Like, really, that's all you can do now? When that's the greatest thing you can do. It's not all you can do. Well, it's bad, bad, and I guess, I guess we're just going to have to pray now. Why not try that first? L let's skip the well. <laughs> let's call out to God. Why are they throwing us over? <laughs> let's go ahead and pray while in the air. <laughs> oh, God, forgive me. <laughs> And that way a turtle will come and rescue me and I'll ride him all the way to the shore. And he'll talk to me and say, the Lord has been pleased with you. But no, he didn't do that. He didn't repent. He waited till he got inside the fish and God had to make him a prayer closet. All we can do is pray. Yes, it's the greatest thing. It's to call upon the Lord and he will answer you in the middle of your distress. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, in our time of distress. It says, it says that Jonah cried out to God in his distress. His distress. Everybody say Tara. Say Tara. That's the word in the Hebrew. And we know that the Hebrew word, Hebrew words are not like English word. Hebrew words gives imagery. It gives pictures all the way from how people are named to the Hebrew language. Every word has many, many meanings to it. That's why you have to be careful when you study the word of God. But the word is tar right there. But it's, a, it's true alliteration or, or how it's in English is spelled T-S-A-R-A-H. And it's pronounced Sarah. Anybody remember Abraham and Sarah? Anybody remember what happened to Sister Sarah? Finally. Once they obeyed God and knew what God wanted to do. It's the word Sarah. In my Sarah. What, what's God saying? Because when you look it up in the Hebrew, it means this. i got to read this to you. This is a word that's used when a woman is giving birth. And it means to travail of childbirth or it means the, the distress of labor or the pain of labor the pain of childbirth you see he's inside the belly of this fish and he's using a pregnancy word he's saying in my distress or in my agony as if I'm being born again or as if I am birthing something. I called on God and he answered me. Because I'm being born again, there's something new. I, in my experience, in this pain of delivery, in this pain that I am walking through, and I'm even saying, God, why am I going through this? It's dark in here. He didn't pull out a lighter. prayed in the dark to the light. This pain this, that I'm going through, this distress that feels like labor pains is birthing something in me. It's birthing something. And God, you spoke in the middle of my labor time. 
He goes on to say, from deep in the realm of the dead. Look at this. Look, look, look. In the, in the deep of the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. It says, from the deep of the realm of the dead. And the word dead is Sheol. S-H-E-O-L. Sheol. Anybody know what that is? Somebody say that word. You're allowed to cuss one time. In the middle of deep hell, I called on God, and I cried, and he spoke to me, and he answered me from the middle of the depth of when I felt like I'm walking through literal hell. Anybody been there? In other words, he's saying from the point in which I was furthest from God, Tarshish, from the place where I was miserable and had no way to even help God out. I can't. You ever been to a place where I can't even contribute to God? There's no way to even contribute. From the place of hell where I was helpless and desperate and I was afraid and I was hurting. I'm in pain while in hell. I had, while I'm in the hell that I put myself in. Hit somebody and say he's talking about you right now. Has anybody ever put yourself in hell? Okay, well, okay, all right. I'm trying to help somebody right now. While in hell, I had put myself in. I called on God, and he heard me. Oh, Jesus. Have you ever been in that place where you just needed one word? Maybe you hadn't, maybe you hadn't, but I, I, I promise you I have. Well, oh, I don't care if he speaks through a rock, through a cow, through a donkey, uh, the, even, the, even the Ninevites. I'll take a word from the Ninevite right now. I don't care how he speaks, what he speaks through, but I need God. I need to know not only that it's some word, I got to believe that it came straight from you. While in the midst of the deepest agony of, of birthing pain, I cried to God in the middle of this place of hell in my life. And he answered me. I want to speak to somebody because some of you are in the middle of what you would call Sheol or hell. Some of you would say from the depths of my marriage in hell. I called on God. Come on, let's get real. There are a lot of marriages being destroyed. Let's get real. Let's take the mask off right now. Forget your Facebook post. There's a lot of people that's not the real them. From the depths of hell in my life, of the depths of Sheol in my heart, and everything on the outside seems so fine to everybody else, but inwardly I'm depressed, I'm suicidal, I'm hurting, I know I've walked in disobedience, I'm afraid, I have anxiety, and something's not right, and in the midst of it, I cried out to God even on a Sunday during church before the preacher ever got through. And I said, God, help me. And he heard me. And he not only heard me, but he answered me. When I needed him most, and yet, yeah, devil, I deserved him the least. He was still there for me. Nah, take that, devil. See, I don't, I don't ignore the lies of the devil. I just come back at him. 
Sometimes I agree with him. Yeah, when I needed him most, and yeah, toxic thought, when I deserved him the least, he still came. In spite of what I put myself in. Some of y'all need to clap real hard on that one. He still came. God still showed up. Even though I didn't deserve it. Somebody say that's mercy. That's grace. He didn't give me what I deserve. Jesus. To Sarah. Tava. In my distress, in my pains of pregnancy, of hurt and pain, in the depths of Sheol, of hell. You can say it this way. I was as good as dead, but God in his mercy could cause me to have pains to Sarah that I might be born again. I was as good as dead and I was completely in my own power, helpless couldn't give God anything at this point. I didn't even want to pray. But I did. And I realized I was not helpless. Because God, even though I did not deserve his love and his mercy, he was still on the throne while in the belly of the well. He still heard me. And he could through the travail of the pain of the agony inside of the fish of my prayer closet. He could cause me to rise from the dead from hell. He could cause me to rise from Sheol, from the place of the dead, so that I could birth his will and that I could be born again. Think about it. You know, God could have done what I was talking about. If, if God, if, if, you know, after he got thrown overboard on the ship, I mean, God could have, poof, boom, there's this big, one of those huge sea turtles that, that God provides a sea turtle for him to ride on all the way to the shore. And that sea turtle could even talk or he could send a mermaid. Something, but God, God didn't decide to do that, y'all. Even though Jonah finally said, hey, it's me. I've disobeyed God. Throw me overboard. Because I don't believe that was repentance. I don't believe that was repentance. That's more victim. And there's a lot of people that go victim that sound repentant, but they're not. I'm going to leave that. Drop the mic on that one right there. Leave it right there. I don't want any more. I don't need counseling this week. God could have said, stopped it all. But he didn't do any of those things. Here's what I want you to notice, and you'll see it on the screen. And you need to really understand this, because I've needed this word that I'm about to say to you. God was actively working, even though Jonah was still in pain. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God was working even though he was still in pain. 
God, said, jo- God says, Jonah, go. Jonah says, no. Jonah gets on the ship. The different phases. God sends a storm. It doesn't work. That was phase one. Phase two, God sends the captain. Jonah, you need to pray. He didn't pray. That didn't work. Phase three, the sailors have mercy on him and don't throw him overboard, but they throw the cargo. God gives him another chance. He still doesn't repent. Grace, grace, grace. Phase four, when they do throw him overboard, God sends a fish to swallow him. He finally prays. (laughs) Phase five, the fish gets a tummy ache. And throws him up on the shore. Man, you could see the grace and the mercy of God working the whole time. In the middle of your pain, please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. God is there and he's working. But you need to hear him. And can I tell somebody, you need to obey him. You don't need all these phases. Because I noticed every phase there was a loss. God's grace is coming after you. The well was God's closet of grace. It's God's closet of mercy. See, even in the middle of your pain... It's going to sound a little, uh, I don't know the right word. It's faith, but it could sound a little psychotic. I don't know if that's the right word. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Failure's good. It's a step to your destiny if you learn from it. Failure doesn't sit on top of your head. It actually becomes a step. If you learn from it. Enjoy the journey. You know, I have to admit, even when I came here as pastor 14 and a half, well, almost 15 years, July will be 15 years, that Christy went back and back pastor. You know, I just thought, wham, bam, things started happening and the church started growing. And we, we ended up, after six months, got saying build a building. We opened the building in 2007, yada, yada, yada. But can I tell you, it's not anything what I thought. Ups, downs, mistakes. You allowing me to grow as your pastor? Me allowing you to grow? Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy what God is doing in your life. Don't don't shift to the drama triangle and become toxic over every failure. Don't beat yourself up and move into self-hatred. That's what the enemy wants. He, He understand the drama triangle is actually making you God. You're actually worshiping yourself in drama triangle, victim, villain, or hero. Jesus made a way for us to shift uh, shift to the empowerment triangle. That even through all my failures, which we need to put on our resumes, because they're more impressive than everything we do right. I've learned and I've grown and I've shifted. I'm a better pastor. If God had given me this in 2008, it would have destroyed me. And sometimes God has to take you through Cincinnati from Birmingham to get to Dallas. There's a good little book out there on that. 
called Hubs. It's a bestseller, New York Times. Shameless plug. Jonah says this, verse 3, You hurled me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the curl currents swirled about me. This is his prayer, remember. He's inside the belly of the whale. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. See, he shifted. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. He's given us a picture. He's writing this after the fact. He's given us a picture. Of what, in the belly of the whale, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Could you imagine how he looked? Green. Be a great children's play. In other words, Jonah was saying, there's no hope for me. Game over. Do not collect $200. Do not pass go. You're done. You've blown it for the last time. You know, that's it. He goes on to say in verse 6, To the roots of the mountains I sake down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But here it is, guys. Please hear this. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Somebody needs to say thank you, Jesus. Some of you today, you feel like your life is spiraling out of control. And you're in the belly of the whale. Who's been there? Who's there now? I'm going to remind you something really big. And when I'm in the belly of the whale, please remind me. Never to forget. But you, Lord, my God. Don't ever forget that line. Tell the devil. That's not the rest of the story. The belly of the well is not my grave. It's my birthing place. <laughs> Never forget that moment when you say, but you, oh God, you're bringing me out of this. And can I tell you, you may not have goosies when you say that. Holy Ghost bumps. You know how you get them on your arm? Ooh, Jesus. Running down my head right now. I find in those moments I've not got goosey bumps. I find that moment and there's nobody singing praise and worship. I'm all alone. It's a one-on-one -on -one interview with God. And God takes away all the distractions and all the things that we lean on so that we don't hear his voice. And sometimes even the preacher, praise and worship and all these things distract us from truly coming to the place of hearing God. God has to take away the noise. To that place where we say, God, you've got this. I don't feel like it. Boy, I promise you I've said that. God, I don't feel you. I don't see you. It's real dark. It's really dark in here. I can't see anything. But you, God, you're going to bring me up out of this. And I'm coming out stronger, wiser, mightier.
the anointing, the crushing, the Gethsemane in my life is producing oil that's never flowed out of this olive before. You, oh God. My life was out of control, but God. My marriage is out of control, but God. I thought my life was over and God was done with me, but God. Oh, come on, somebody. I thought I'd messed up and failed too much, but God. I failed over and over and over, and I did something really stupid, but God. But God. Grace. Grace has the final word. Woo! Don't ever forget but God moments because you become prideful if you don't, if you do. Don't ever forget where you come from because you'll start looking down on people that don't, they actually do what you used to do, but you forgot. You forgot your but God moment. You better remember your but God moment or you're going to become arrogant toward others that are over here where you were. You better show mercy, son, and grace because it was shown to you. God could have exposed your rear end, but he decided to hide you in the belly of a whale out in the depth of the sea where nobody saw your mess. He decided to give you a prayer closet of grace, a prayer closet of mercy. He covered your sin. Woo! Come on! But God. He said in verse 7, I'm almost done, when my life was ebbing away. Watch this. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. See, some of you today are going to remember God now. Pastor, I haven't forgot God. Sad to say, yes, some of you have. Because we have this thing, and I've done it before, where I only remember him when I need him. you're guilty raise your hand but once he does what you want him to do it's almost like you used him he doesn't mind that my children you've used me I love them it's okay but it's not the greatest feeling to be used by somebody he said I remembered you God I remembered you Lord and I prayed to your temple and prayer arose. Tell somebody, remember God. But then the next verse, he kind of shifts. He's getting the prophet back going. Have you ever been in the belly of the well and you get your calling back? And he'll test you before he puts you before people. You'll prophesy to a well. He'll give you a word before you even think you're getting out of the well. And he kind of shifts in this next verse 8. 
And look what he says. Those who cling. So it's like he shifts from himself. And he's saying this probably to himself, but to others, those who cling to worthless, worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I love this because he's basically saying, whatever you do, don't do what I did. Whatever you do, don't run from God. Whatever you do, don't neglect him. Whatever you do, don't disobey him. Don't cling to worthless idols because a lot of times that ship will show up to Tarshish when you're supposed to be going to Nineveh and it will, it will be something that will feel it's a counterfeit it's an idol it's a worthless idol that will fill your life to take up your time from repentance it'll last for a season it'll feel good even it could be a hobby a sport and all of a sudden you're moving away from God help me somebody it's false it's a setup it's not from God He says, turn away or don't cling to worthless idols in your life. I don't know what the worthless idol is for your life. It could be your image. Do I look good? It could be some relationship. I like him. I'm not about to pray about it. I know he's not a believer, but I like him. And I believe in missionary dating. I know I'm not supposed to sleep with him. But I have needs too. Your idol could be materialism. It could be Alabama football. NFL football. I know people that get more excited about their football team than they do God. I know that's old style preaching, but there's actually truth in that. So don't come at me with that. Because wherever your passion is, you'll find your purpose. And I remember Alabama football being a god in my life. And when they lost, I got depressed. And the moment I got depressed, I knew it was an idol. Materialism, things, more, money, things, things, they'll make me happy. We cling to those things. But do you understand it's a really bad trade to cling to those things because when you, you're making an exchange, the, the verse says, look at it again, you're exchanging it actually for God's love and grace. That's a really bad trade. Can I just tell you that's a bad trade? Don't be trading that. Don't be trading the worthless idol when you could have God's love and grace. Make an exchange today. Make an exchange with God. Verse 9. I love this. We're almost done. Two more verses. But I, with shouts of grateful praise. So how many knows he's starting to have church in the well? How many knows you need to turn your prayer closet into a praise closet? How many knows you need to turn your belly of the well into a church? Don't wait till you go to church. With shouts of grateful praise, we'll sacrifice to you. Watch this. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. What I have vowed, I will. What did he vow? We don't know. Not fully. Because it, we're not, he's not talking about Nineveh. Probably what he vows was, God, if you tell me to speak, I'll speak. If you tell me to go, I'll go. 
Whatever it is that you want me to do, whatever I vowed, I will do it. I will make good. Some of you, there's something that you're going to make good today. Come on, amen. There's something that you have vowed to God that you haven't made good. That he's waiting on you to say, Lord, that which I have vowed, that vow I will not break any longer. That thing that you've put in my heart, I'm going to make it good. I'm going to do it. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I love verse 9 because he says, salvation comes from the Lord. What a type and shadow of the New Testament. He didn't say it comes from an animal. You know, that's what they did. It was revelation that salvation, the only thing that can save you, your family, this city, state, this nation, and this world is Jesus. Only salvation can come from God. It's not from doing good things or bad things. So forget about all the bad stuff you've done. Forget about all the good stuff you've done. Only Jesus who shed his blood is the way for you to be saved. To receive salvation. To come to that place and say, Lord, here is my life in the belly of the well. Save me. In verse 10, we're done. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah. Ugh. Yuck. Onto dry land. Stand with me. Says the fish vomited. I know we don't like to hear that word. That's disgusting. But you know when I read that, and I know it's disgusting, it gets me exciting because it's disgusting. Because what it tells me is God shows up when we're disgusting, when we're in a disgusting situation. Come on, somebody. God shows up to bring freedom in the middle of it all. A place of disgust, a place of filth that God comes to free you from. God has come to rescue people today from the belly of the fish. If you will cry out to him today and say, Lord, Lord, hear my cry. Save me. I will make good that which I have vowed to you, O God. You are my salvation, not this or that. I've run from you long enough. Free me today. With every head bowed in this place, I'm asked to offer you.